Um, it's good to see you out tonight. I, I honestly wasn't sure who would be here tonight uh, after I announced that tonight we'd be looking at the Lord's return. My experience of talking to uh, people who want to have a conversation about this topic is that it's not usually very much of a conversation. I initiate a, a question and then they proceed to monologue me for 30 minutes. So I guess I kind of know what you guys feel like now. <laughs> um, so often I find that when we talk about the Lord's return, There'll be one group of people who say, ah, Jeff, you know, I don't understand all that. I don't know all those terms. I don't know all those phrases. I don't have the, those nuanced debates and arguments. While others will say, Jeff, you don't understand these arguments. You don't understand these nuanced debates. Sit down while I tell you how, um, while I climb up on my high horse. Um, so, look, I said this morning, I have absolutely zero interest in uh, talking about all the different theories behind the exact running order of events uh, coming up uh, after the end of the church age. If you are pre-millennial, post-millennial, um, you will not fall out with me either way. I think there is serious credibility on both aspects, and there are wonderful godly, godly people on either side of that debate. So tonight, I am going to label us all as C-millennials, um, as in tonight, we'll put the debate aside, and we're prepared to wait and see what will happen. Um, this isn't the discussion we're having tonight. If you want to have that conversation later on, you can go talk to David Rutherford over coffee. <laughs> <laughs> the series is finishing off tonight um, as we have spent our time looking at some of the, one of the most important questions that we can ever really ask um, here on earth. What kind of a saviour is Jesus? Some people say, well, he's the real deal. Others say, well, look, he, he's a social saviour. He's kind of given us some nice moral grounds to follow, and if we do that, we'll be maybe okay, but, you know, you don't take it too seriously. You don't take it too literally. And what we've done is we've looked at the life of Christ and see that when we anchor our hope in who Jesus is, we have a saviour who will show up for us. We have a saviour who will speak up for us. We have a Savior who will hold us up, who gave himself up for us. And this morning we looked at how he is a Savior who will help us to grow up. And we're going to finish that tonight as looking at that as a Savior who will call us up. And so hopefully you see the progression there of the life through Christ uh, from his birth when he shows up right through then to the end. So that whatever way you want to take your theology, that's secondary. Because the reason we have the theology on this is the most important. Christ is coming back. Whatever way you want to think about it, whatever emphasis you put on particular verses, whatever way you want to imagine, that, that's fine. Whenever it may be, we know this for certain. He is coming back. And when that happens, we will go to be with him. And all the pain and all the suffering and all the worrying and all the heartache and all the struggling and all the persevering will be over. Because in heaven there will be no more sickness. In heaven there will be no more pain. In heaven there will be no more tears to cry. And we can rest in the knowledge that everything we went through here on the, for the king on earth was worth it. And we'll hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And it's a bit like a marathon runner. There comes a point where you start to hit the wall, the runner's wall, and everybody starts to feel sore and everything, uh, every cell in your body starts screaming at you that you need to stop, that you can't go any further. 
and you'll look up to someone or you'll shout at someone in the crowd and say, how much further, how much longer do I have to go? And they'll say, look, you've only three miles left. You've only four miles left. You're nearly there. Keep going. And that helps motivate you that you can see the end coming so you can keep going. Folks, I think this can be a great encouragement to us tonight if you are a Christian. When you're finding it hard going, keep going because every day we keep going it takes us a day closer to him coming back and so maybe today could be the day maybe tomorrow could be the day and it should bring the christian optimism because it could be today it could be today and that should be exciting at least it should be now we're going to go to matthew uh chapter 24 uh, the words will be up on the screen but um if you have a Bible with you, it's always good to read along um, just so that you can um, even make some notes as you go along. Um, good Christians always make notes. Um, but also it means that you can see that I'm just not making this up as well. So, Okay, Matthew 24, uh, breaking in at verse 36. But about that day or hour, that day or hour when Christ will come back, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, so that day, that hour, what is that day? Um... I don't think it's a 24-hour day. Um, I, I don't think it's a day that you could put a ring around in the calendar. The day of the Lord, as it is often referred to in Scripture, is a period of time. The day of the Lord, I believe, this is my theology, this is my eschatology. I can't speak for all of you, uh, but this is what I believe the Bible says, that the day of the Lord, that final period of, of history on earth, known in Daniel as Daniel's 70th week and all that there, that seven-year period, that day of the Lord, will begin with the rapture of the church. That's, that's my belief, and you can send me all the stuff in the emails and, and all the rest of it. You, you know, you didn't read this book, and you need to understand this, and what about that? Yeah, I've read it. But this is what I strongly believe that Scripture teaches, and I know some of you will want to do that and tell me how wrong I am. That's fine. I promise I will open the email. Um, but when the day will begin by that event of the rapture, no one knows when that will begin. No one knows. Now, every now and again, someone will forget this fact, and, and they'll say, oh, I know when it will happen. I know when the earth's going to end. I know when Jesus is going to come back, and you'll be... Well, I'm constantly amazed at how many Christians are constantly duped by these false teachers. Um, they've always been about it. If you remember, uh, not that long ago, remember the ancient Mayans? They all said that we weren't going to make it to Christmas 2012. Or even John Hagee, you know, the Texan Christian boy, he caused panic with his blood supermoon thing. And he came up with a number of dates between April 2014 and September 2015. He always, you know, just every, every time the day passes, oh, no, it's the next date. Or e-Bible founder Christian, Chris McCann, he added his pennies worth saying, oh, the supermoon, blood moon thing would come on the 7th of October, 2015. We're, we're all still here. 
or we had one group claiming something called a polar flip. We'd make Barack Obama reveal himself as the Antichrist in July 29th, 2016. Or David Mead, who had literature out recently, claiming that science and geopolitics would confirm the, the writings in the book of Revelation and the world would end on Saturday, September the 23rd, 2017. And those have all been in the last couple of years. Let's not even start talking about what, happened, what people were thinking at Y2K in the year 2000. Idiots. Idiots. Because anyone who says they know when the world is going to end has not studied Scripture accurately or fairly. Because Jesus says absolutely no one, not even the Son himself, not even me, knows whenever God the Father is going to send me back. Nobody knows. So if someone says they do know, well, you've got a conflict there. So either we believe what Jesus says, and he says, look, nobody knows, or we believe someone, usually an American. I'm going to usually side with Jesus, I think. Anyway, Jesus goes on to pair that this coming, uh, this coming day is going to be like the days that there were back in Noah. It's an interesting comparison. And we can look and see about the information that we have at Noah's time. Um, there was an increase in the number of men at the time of Noah. The people have studied the numbers of earth then. Uh, but the belief is that with people living longer and all the rest of it now, um, the world's population is set to explode again. Uh, we've got 7 billion roughly on earth right now. By 2050, that could treble to over 20 billion. That's what the projections are. But already they say that 75% of all the people that have ever lived in the entire history of earth are all alive right now. 75% are alive right now. There's an increase in men. But also we read that there is an increase in wickedness. In Genesis 6 it says the sons of God took the daughters of man and went into them and had offspring that became giants, men of renown. And that's when God said, my spirit will not always strive with man because there was an increase of, of wickedness. Uh, there was an increase of violence. Uh, the, the Bible tells us that God saw the hearts of men, that the thoughts of the intents of their hearts were wicked continually. So there are certain things that were on the time of Noah that are identified to us in Scripture that Jesus says will be preceding his coming, and markedly so. Another trait about the days of Noah, it was a time of unheeded preaching. 120 years Noah preached. 120 years that the end was coming, that there was a flood coming, that people had to get ready. Only eight were in the ark. Now, it looked ridiculous what he was doing. He was in the middle of inland, modern-day Iraq, and he was building a boat. The flood's coming. The flood's coming. Now, Iraq doesn't have an awful lot of floods. It'd be like us trying to build a yacht factory up at the top of Craig Amlet or something. It'd just be like, it just doesn't make any sense. And they didn't listen to Noah. They, they didn't listen to the message. They didn't listen to the preaching. And then they only realized whenever it was too late, whenever the flood started to come and the door of the ark had already been closed and sealed by God, they realized too late and they were carried away. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be come at the coming of the Son of Man. 
For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Why? Why? How will that happen? Because it's a day that will come without any warning. It's a day that nobody knows when it's going to come, but it will come. And those who are ready are just going to be taken. Because nobody knows the day or the hour. Now, I know people have different points of view on how it's all going to work, but look carefully at the flood and Noah. In the same way the flood came and took Noah away and left others, so will the, day, the Lord's day come sweeping God's people away and leaving others behind where it will be too late for rescue to take place. It will be too late for rescue to take place. That's why Paul told the Corinthians, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation because the day of the Lord is coming, which means that today is the day of salvation. Now, again, whatever way you want to sit on, on different verses, this is important because here's what Jesus highlights as the next verse, verse 42. Therefore, this is why I'm telling you this. This is the whole reason why I'm telling you this. Therefore, because of that, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Someone says, oh, I know. I say, shut up. No, you don't. The Bible says, nobody knows the day. So don't get caught out going down this rabbit hole of, uh, post-millennialism or pre-millennialism and all the different stuff. It's a rabbit hole that you can get very lost in. The point Jesus is making is, you don't know when I'm coming, so you better be ready. Because I will be coming and nobody knows when that's going to be. It will be quick, it will be instant, and from that point of time, there will be no more rescue. The day of salvation will be gone. The day of grace will be gone, and it will be the day of the Lord. And that will be it the door will be closed. He says, look, we do not know that day. We do not understand what day it will be. But understand this. If the owner of a house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he'd have kept watch. And would not have let his house be broken into, Right? If you know someone's going to come into your house, you're going to, and if you know what time they're going to come at, you're going to be prepared. You're going to prepare. You're going to know. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect. What's the principle? What's the principle for us as Christians? The principle is this. The Bible's revelation of the world's consummation should bring godly motivation. If you're taking notes, that's something you want to write down. You see, there is something that you know as a Christian, something that is coming. The world doesn't know that this is coming, and if you tell them, they'll say, well, whatever, weird Christian people, prophecy, doomsday thing. You're weird Christians. Don't talk to me about that. I don't want to know about that. They don't believe it, but isn't that exactly what happened in the day of Noah? There's a flood coming. There's a flood coming. Pfft, Noah, catch your, catch your grips on. It's not happening. Exactly like the days of Noah. They dismissed it. But we as believers know better. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. It's foolishness to him. But the Spirit of the man, says Paul, understands all things. He gets it. 
A spiritual man, a spiritual woman can understand spiritual things. And so we see what people out there don't see. At least I hope you see it. As Christians, I hope you see what Christ is trying to tell us. I read an interesting article on, uh, it was like a bio, um, like an Attenborough thing on the eye of an eagle. It's fascinating that an eagle's eye has eight times the visual cells per cubic centimeter of a human eye, which means they have amazing acuity. Um, An eagle can be flying 600 feet above the earth and spot an object the size of a 10-piece coin, 10p coin, in six inches of grass. Now, I'm a Balamina man. If I could find 10p coins in six inches, I would be loving it. But an eagle can see that from 600 feet. He can spot a three-inch fish jumping five miles away in the air. He can, he or she, depending if it's a Mr. Eagle or a Mrs. Eagle, one other creatures can't see. It's incredible. But you and I can see by Scripture that there is a day coming when the chance for salvation will finish and the Lord will come back. We do not know when that day will be, but we can see that there is a day coming. Therefore, if anybody ought to be ready and involved and passionate in our living, surely it ought to be us as Christians. It ought to be us. Now, Jesus is going to tell two parables. We'll go through them very quickly, and then we'll work out the meaning from both of them. Uh, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. In other words, if you serve faithfully and the Lord comes back, he will reward you with greater service in heaven. Verse 47. Uh, Sorry, verse 48. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master's staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come in a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he is not aware of, he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So long story short, there there, there is an alternative scenario where as a worker, we refuse to do the work that we're assigned. We don't do what we're supposed to. We kind of take our foot off the pedal. We we forget that the master is going to come back. We, We don't think about that. We miss out on that. And in fact, then we get punished. And in fact, we get exposed as simply being a hypocrite. We were never truly working for the master, but rather we were always just in it for ourselves for an easy ride. Very big comparison there. The next one then, straight into chapter uh, 25. At the time of the kingdom of heaven, there will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oils in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for us and you instead. 
go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking again. Therefore, keep watch. He's repeating himself. Keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. And the point that we are to take away from the five foolish virgins or, or bridesmaids whose oil ran out and the five wise virgins who, who took enough to be ready is this. Watch so that the Lord's return does not catch you unprepared. Make sure that when the Lord comes back, you are not caught off guard like these people were. Don't be like the servant who got caught up uh, caught out, uh, um, he got caught up in the world and abandoned his responsibilities and forgot the work that he was called to do. Don't be like these virgins who thought they were ready, but they weren't. Watch and make sure you're ready for when the Lord comes back. So, here's the question. How do you get ready for the Lord to come back? Number one, get saved. Get saved. It sounds fairly obvious, but you've no idea how many people will listen to this and say, yeah, I will definitely do that at some point. I'm definitely going to do it. Jeff, that is the best advice I have ever. Yes, yes, but, but not now. I'm busy. Uh, there, there's things going on, and you know, I kind of want to do a few things first. And so, but definitely, yes, get saved. Brilliant advice. I was watching a movie this week, and, and there was a scene that referenced the, the Holocaust, and I know that it's, um, it's the memorial, uh, is it this, today, this weekend, today? Um, and I, I was thinking, you know, I wonder about the prisoners of war, um, not just in, in the concentration camps, but in a lot of the different um, pre, uh, camp, internment camps and, and different things. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people cruelly, cruelly treated in those camps. Could you imagine the Allies there managing to sneak a, a, a message into some of the prisoners and saying, Psst, 11 o'clock tonight and we are busting you out. But you need to make sure that you are at this side. You need to make sure you're over here because we're going to come in hard on that other side and you don't want to get caught up in the firestorm. So you make sure you're out of the way so we can come in and make sure that you can be rescued. And so the prisoners write back, that doesn't suit us. Would next Thursday work for you? What? Are you having a laugh? Or maybe say, or say, okay, right, 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock, yep, 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 okay, that's, that's no problem. And then, the allies come bursting in through and they're looking for all the, the, the prisoners and saying, oh, I didn't think you guys really meant that. Oh, hold on, let me go grab my stuff. No, that's not how it would have been at all. It would be ridiculous to think like that. If there was an offer of rescue, you jump at it. Jesus has said, no one knows what, when the day will be, so be watchful, be ready. So number one, you need to be saved. You need to be saved. 
How do you get saved? Well, the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. By that I mean, believe that his righteousness will be your righteousness. Believe that his death was in place of your death. The punishment for sin was put on him. Believe that it is his love. Believe that it is his grace. Believe that it is mercy and not our works or our goodness. Believe with all your heart that he is the most precious thing. Believe in him. Trust in him. Repent and you will be saved. I heard that there's a tombstone somewhere that says, here lies an atheist, all dressed up and nowhere to go. That's just not true. There is a place for him to go, or her to go, as well as anyone who believes. It's just not the same place. Eternity is real. It is not to be toyed with. So number one, get saved. Number two, get busy. As Christians start growing in the Lord, Peter said, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep growing. And we were talking about that this morning. Never be content with where you are uh, as a believer. Never can, can be content at staying uh, in the same place, whether it's today or tonight in your Christian walk. Say, well, what else can I learn? <laughs> Jesus told his disciples, well, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're supposed to be doing. He never said, go make converts. We get so excited when people come forward and people get saved or people make a response. And it is, it's exciting. Of course, I get excited too. But that's only the beginning of the work. It's only starting whenever they make that initial commitment because then uh, there is to be discipled and to grow and to learn and to be effective, to identify talents and develop them and grow them. And it's part of the journey. Get saved. Get busy. Number three, get active. Not only should we be in the business of discipling ourselves and discipling each other, but we should be active in each other's lives. Remember, we were talking this morning from 1 John 3, not just to love by word, but also by deed. Don't sit around and watch other people in the church serve. You have gifts and you have talents. You're obliged to use them. Involve yourself with other people. There, there's old people's home that would love someone just to come and visit them. Uh, Ruth and, and there's others who work with the NHS and they'll tell you, there's some people and they get no one visiting them. And the family just have, have left them or abandoned them or they don't have anybody to visit them. And they would love to have somebody to come and take an interest. Could you do that? What about homeless shelters? or food banks there's never been more need or bigger demand on our food banks than right now shouldn't happen in 2019 but it is it's happening can you do something can you help what about people with addictions you tell me that they don't need help they don't need someone They're single-parent families. Always do with an extra pair of hands somewhere along the line. There's bereaved families. There's people who are lonely. There is no shortage of people who you could get alongside. I think sometimes 
we get so selfish and so self-centered that we start looking at no one else but ourselves. I'm going to come to church. Well, what am I going to get out of it? Who's going to talk to me? Who am I going to sit beside? Am I going to enjoy the music tonight? Am I going to enjoy the sermon topic tonight? Maybe if we made it more about other people and how we might bless and minister others, who can I go sit beside? Who could I go talk to? Who could I try and encourage? Puts a new passion in us. Get saved. Get active. Get busy. Last one. Get peace. Look at the second parable again of the, uh, the bridesmaids or the virgins. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, verse 5, and they all came drowsy, uh, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Be righteous, be ready, be responsible. That's, that's the lesson here. Be righteous, be ready, be responsible. All the virgins, they fell asleep. All the bridesmaids fell asleep. Even the wise ones, why did they fall asleep? Because it was midnight. It's a perfectly rational time to fall asleep. If you are old and you are awake at midnight, you're not doing it right. You need to be sleeping, in theory. Number two, they didn't know when the groom was coming. They could have been waiting at any stage all week. It could have been any stage at the week. So they could have been waiting for two days. They could have been waiting for three days. They could have been waiting for four days. You need to sleep at some point. You need to sleep at some point. So they didn't know when the groom was coming. So if you're tired and you can't sleep, well, then you should sleep because if you came the next night, you need to be fresh. You need to be ready. But all 10 bridesmaids were sleeping. All 10. The wise ones were sleeping and they weren't criticized for it. The problem wasn't that they were sleeping. See, when Jesus says be watching, be watching doesn't mean that we need to spend 24 hours a day just looking up in the skies. Just waiting. Just, we're not going to work today because I'm, I'm just watching. I can't do uh, Sorry, love. No, I can't do the garden. I'm, I'm watching. And you know, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. These wise virgins, these wise bridesmaids were sleeping, but they were also successful in their watching. So what does watch mean? Well, these women are wise. They're watching the way they're supposed to. It's not about staying up all night. It means that you should stay awake to your calling. You stay awake to your duty. You stay awake to the vigilance you should have spiritually in your life. You know that there is a day coming that, that what the Lord is going to come back. You know there's a day coming, and so you're ready for that. You're on it. You're thinking about it. You're alert to the reality of what could happen. Watch doesn't mean that we just stay up all night like some sort of insomniacs, but rather it means that you don't fail to avail yourself of all the spiritual resources you will need to persevere in your calling, in your duty, until Jesus comes. The goal, the goal is that he finds you doing your duty. The goal is that he comes and sees that you have been a faithful servant and you have put in a good shift. Which means that whenever he does come, like the bridegroom coming, we can run to meet him and we can be excited and say, I'm so excited. I'm so glad you're here. I can't wait. I've been waiting so long. I'm so glad you're here. 
rather than going, oh, he's here, right? I need to, I, I need, I need to start getting ready. These wise women were ready for if and when the groom did come at any stage during the night. They didn't need to do anything during the night. They didn't need to stay awake because they were ready. They were ready just to grab their oils and, and go. They were happy to see the groom come because they were ready. These unwise virgins, the word unwise is literally the word moros, or where we get our word moron. So these morons looked apart. They slept at ease as well with the, those who were ready. But the truth was they were not ready for the Lord to come. They couldn't run out to meet him. They couldn't show an excitement. They couldn't show any excitement because they were scrambling about to get ready. But then they, when they finally were ready, it was too late. Just like in the day of Noah. I bet everyone believed that the boat was necessary when the water was all, you know, could you imagine? You know, saying, you know, kind of just saying, is there a pipe burst? We have a puddle here. And then it's up to their ankle. Saying, someone left the tap on. Then it starts going up the shin. What's happening here? Up to the knee, and up the thigh, up to the waist. And then they're panicking, and they're scrambling to get to the ark. They're trying to run out from, from the towns and the cities, and they're trying to get up. It's too late. And there will come a time whenever we will hear, as the song says, the trumpet of the Lord shall sound. We'll hear him coming. People will scramble to get ready, and everyone will know he's coming. Everyone will know at that stage, but it will be too late to get ready. One of the things that has always concerned me about this story, and I really wish it would concern more churches across our country, is that just because people go to church or they own a Christian book and know a couple of Christian songs does not mean that they are all wise. It doesn't mean that they're all ready. There are scores of churches filled with unprepared, unrepentant, unsaved people. Say, so, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard the message. Yeah, I understand the message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just becomes this sort of, con they're conditioned to it. They've known it from when they've grown up, and they just go through it all, but they're not real. They're sleeping. They're sleeping, and they will be too late. Many will be too late. And it's interesting to me that Jesus says that there were five wise and five foolish. Now, I am not going to suggest that this parable is some sort of equation that in every church, 50% of the people aren't ready. I'm not that, no. But I think it's interesting that the Lord thought it prudent to suggest that there's a significantly bigger percentage not ready than what we would like to think. Who are not really ready for him coming back. That's concerning, and I wish it concerned more people. These foolish women missed the day of salvation, and now they were on the wrong side of the day of the Lord. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. There are just some things that you cannot leave to the last minute. Um, 
I noticed on the radio that there's a whole, there's lots of things, you know, with, with Brexit and all, oh, do I need to renew my passport or, you know, how long is that going to take or what, what, how does it impact it and all. Because basically what they're trying to say is, look, we've no idea what's going to happen. So don't leave it too late. It's better to do it sooner rather than then because we have no idea what's going to happen come March. There are some things you can't leave to the last minute. One of them is spiritual things. Eternal things. You can't put that off any longer. If you put off a decision for Christ, you are in his words, moros, moronic. It's dumb. It's playing against the odds because you don't know the day or the hour. Anything could happen. Anything could occur. And you will be too late. Take it from a guy who does far too many funerals. Take it from someone who has buried people of every age bracket. It is far better to be ready. Don't put off certain things. If you sat down to take a, an exam tomorrow, you don't wait until the paper is put in front of you and you open up the first question and you think to yourself, right, I'm going to prepare now. It's about late then. I'm not saying some of you haven't done it, but you'll know it's too late then. It's too late to start revising. Make sure you're ready, folks. What a hope for a year that lies ahead, that no matter what happens, even if the worst were to happen, I'm ready. That, that even if my life were to end, I'm ready. So no matter how bad things get, I'm ready. What a hope. What kind of a savior is Jesus? He's a returning savior. He's one who will show up for us, speak up for us, hold us up, give himself up, help us to grow up, and he's one who will come back someday to call us up. Folks, I, um, do you know what the saddest thing I think is? The saddest thing is that I spent all week preparing this message thinking, I hope it doesn't scare people. I, I, I hope that, that people don't think that I'm one of those preachers. I, I hope that, that people will still, you know, enjoy the service. And then there came a point certain near the end of the week where I stopped caring about all that stuff, I'll be honest. What I see is a promise from the Lord. He is coming back. And we don't know when that is. And he repeats himself time and time again. You've got to be watching. You've got to be ready. So, I am negligent in my duties if I don't say, guys, we need to take this seriously. This isn't me. This, this isn't me being scared or me being one of the... This is just me pointing you to Scripture and saying, guys, we need to take this seriously. This is real. So I don't care if you don't like me. I don't care if this is popular or not. You've got to be ready. And if you're saved, this has to be something that excites you.
that even if the worst were to happen, you are ready. That's exciting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a day that will be whenever we see you face to face. 